So we're just talking about the provincial election and how we're not focused on any of the issues. Instead, we're focused on mudslinging. We're focused on the media tearing down different politicians in different ways rather than looking at the issues that they should be talking about that no one is addressing, whether we're talking about our high tax rate, our high poverty rate, our low growth economic and population-wise. Why don't we hear people talking about this? Well, something that's going to be talked about tomorrow is a mental health forum. And this is a different side of it. Just ahead of us talking about eating disorders and disordered eatings, I would like for Adam Milne from Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba to share something about mental health and the provincial election that could be of interest. Sir? Thank you, Dahlia. You're welcome. Tomorrow night, uh, we're very lucky to have the current health minister, Sharon Blady. We have John Gerard from the Liberal Party and from the NDPs. We have Myrna Dreger all coming to talk about uh, several key issues in mental health right now because for us... Mental health is the issue that no one's talking about. We're going to be talking about discharge policies. We're talking about uh, remote and indigenous communities, what we're going to do with the mental health concerns of all of the new immigrants, as well as what's going on in criminal justice and with addictions in mental health. So all of these discussions are tomorrow. It's at 7 o'clock at the Bernie Theatre on Doncaster. Uh, I hope to see you all there tomorrow. And Adam is part of the Mood for Thought panel today, so why don't we introduce the rest of them right now? What you say? That sounds like a good plan. All right. He's apparently now my uh, approver of ideas as well. So you've met Adam. He's with the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. Also joining us right now, the Youth Program Coordinator from Mood Disorders. We have Griffin Jenkins. Welcome back, sir. Hello. And two people have come in today, and I appreciate not just the fact that they've come in, but how brave they are to share their stories on eating disorders, because we're talking about eating disorders and disordered eating, and the best way to understand it is quite possibly from the perspective of people who experience it. So two people to share their stories. Mel is going to talk about how she's dealt with bulimia, and Clayton is going to talk about anorexia. So before we even get into eating disorders, disordered eatings, disordered eating. I want to get into their personal stories. So Clayton, why don't you tell us what have you been through with anorexia? Because I think to many people, it's a surprise that a guy is going to talk about this. Yeah, that's right. Um, It's a very real issue. And a lot of people um, seem to think it only applies to girls and they, they aren't ready to believe that a guy can be sick or afflicted with this illness. Um, I guess my story starts when I was about 13, 14, uh, late middle school, early high school. Um, and it really began with, with bullying. Um, I had not the greatest standards for my friends, my social group. And with, with guys, there's a, an alpha male mentality. I find, um, the most vulnerable member of the group will often be the one to to take all the hits and, and all the jokes. And in that case, it was me. Um, my, I wasn't an overweight kid or anything, um, but my features were, were a little rounder, I guess. I had a, a rounded face. It was kind of a devel- deve- developmental stage. Um, and I was always getting picked on. So to me, it started off as just, oh, maybe I'm going to skip a couple lunches uh, this week, and I'll show them. 
And from that, it was just throwing out my lunch every day. And then from that point, it was skipping lunch and dinner. And it went from from bullies in my social life to a kind of internal bully, I guess, that that I had created and, and fed into. And and this grew and this voice became louder and louder. And with that, it it eventually just took over all of my thinking, regardless of of dieting and food intake, it was just a, a negative monster in my my head that had an opinion about everything. And and with that came came the body dysmorphia as well. And seeing seeing myself always as as that overweight kid who's gonna get picked on. When we're talking about eating disorders, eating disorders they're a mental illness. It's it's not just about food. It's typically not about food. It's about other things. It's about control. It's about lack of control. So when Clayton, when you're sharing the story with us about your anorexia, did you ever have, did it ever give you a feeling when you had all these bullies and then you stopped eating as much and stopped eating? Did it give you a simultaneous feeling of control and lack of control? Is that a way you can describe it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you feel as though you have you're taking control of the situation, and you're going to show them, and and it'll be it'll be kind of cool to to not be the subject of their bullying anymore. And you're taking taking control of the situation, but then afterwards, that bully shifts to something in your own head, and it and you're essentially a victim to that to that internal internal voice and you have no control against that and it it can really spiral quite quickly did you feel because you're a guy did it give you maybe this sense like well i think better question did you know that you had anorexia when you had it not initially no did being a guy ever confuse you into even thinking, well, this doesn't happen to guys, so this isn't what I have? Or how, how did you feel about your mental state? Where did you feel you were at? I didn't feel it was anorexia at first. I didn't look at it the same way that, mm-hmm. that we often view it as only applying to females. I just thought I was, I was taking control over my, my own choices and, and going to show those bullies by by not being their their victim Mm -hmm. um but being a guy i guess you people aren't really ready to see believe that you have that illness or or approach you and and tell you they think you're sick often with with guys they get told by by their peers you're so skinny all the time and and it's not really thought of the same way when you see a girl who might be ill. If you're losing weight because you're not eating, were people starting to notice? Did your family notice? Did your family say something? They they didn't approach me directly about thinking I had an illness. They would notice that I was skipping meals, that I was just locking myself away in my room instead of coming to dinner. Did you have um, excuses why you couldn't eat? Yeah. I would make up any any excuse. I just didn't feel well, 
wasn't in the mood, I would go out to places where I wouldn't have to have to eat anything. How much was your life consumed by what you ate or didn't eat? 100%. How many years did you go through this before you realized, I need to do something? I would say it escalated for about two years mm-hmm. until it reached its its full-blown blown point. And, What's full-blown? Um, the, the only voice having that I had in my head was this angry almost like a demon or a monster that that was all I heard from the moment I woke up in the morning to to when I went to bed and I was seriously seriously depressed and and my quality of life was was terrible so Clayton if you're just joining us Clayton is sharing his story of going through anorexia body dysmorphia which is in fact a mental illness, and many males suffer from this. Many males deal with this, and there are stats that I can run over, but when you look at the stats of guys and eating disorders, which, by the way, eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness, but when you look at the stats, I I don't even know if I could believe the stats about guys with eating disorders because I think so many of them don't come forward. Right now, eating disorders, disordered eating, mental illness. This is a mental illness, and we hear about anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder. These are the three main eating disorders, but there is disordered eating, and we're going to talk about that too. Eating disorders, number number one killer, number one killer in mental health, mental illness, So we have our Mood for Thought panel with us. We have Griffin and Adam, both from Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. And we also have two very special guests, special because they are courageously sharing their personal stories. Mel is going to share with you her story about bulimia in just a bit. But Clayton has been telling us about anorexia. And you don't often get to hear about it from a male perspective. Eating disorders happen with men. Probably underreported, but Clayton is sharing his story. So you you go through anorexia for a couple of years, Clayton. This starts you feel because you were being bullied, and you felt you were maybe a little rounder as a teen, and you were being bullied. So you started by not eating a meal here, not eating a meal there, and soon eating less and less and less. Two or so years into this, what was your health like? at that point, even your physical health? It was very poor. I mean, just walking to school, walking from class to class um, was a huge challenge for me. Um, even just holding up a pencil and writing for, for a couple hours was was challenging. Um, and just constantly feeling exhausted and tired and, and fainting um, regularly. Could anybody have said anything to you to make you start eating at that point? I don't think so. I think that my my own train of thought was so rigid and, and ingrained in this this mentality that that nobody could could talk me out of it. I've heard uh, people say, and I've seen pictures on Facebook or wherever, somebody will write um, under the picture of somebody who who says they have anorexia, or somebody will say to somebody who's anorexic, eat a sandwich. If somebody would have said, or maybe somebody did say that to you, 
eat a sandwich, how would that make you feel? To me, that is just another form of body shaming. And and that's no different than telling someone who you perceive as overweight um, to eat less. We would we would view that as something horrible to say, and you wouldn't you wouldn't say say that to somebody. But um, people seem to have no reserves telling people to eat more. In a, it's like saying to somebody with cancer, you know, eat a sandwich to make your cancer go away. <laughs> it's not going to make your cancer go away if you eat a sandwich. So it can't make this go away. So what? got you to the point where you're able to get to this place where you're operating healthfully because I know eating disorders, they never really go away. They stick with you. There are triggers, but you can control it and you can take care of yourself. So how have you gotten to this point? What turned things around for you? Well, what I did was was finally speak up about it to my sister. And I think just voicing it and and letting it out really helps you make a lot of sense of it and and it's the first step in in moving forward and and getting better from this um because when it's all in your mind and in your head it's one big mess like a tornado a monster, of anxiety yeah absolutely um but voicing it and and just letting it out of your system It'll feel better, and and that person, if they care about you, will will help you on getting onto the right track. In that case, that was a, a family member. How long did it take where you started to feel as though you were operating on a healthier level? That would probably be another year and a half, two years from that point, and that's pretty pretty good for most people who are sick with this. And that is. So a lot of people, it's very difficult to get through it at all. It's mm-hmm. difficult to get to the point where they can ask for help or say that they need help. So when you're sitting here now talking about two years of, you know, active anorexia, and then you finally go to your sister, what's day to day like right now? Does Is it ever in the back of your mind? It's under control. I feel like my life compared to what it was is, is great. I'm happy as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that voice in your head, it, it'll take a back seat. It doesn't have control. It doesn't have, have a say over my own happiness anymore, but it's always back there whispering things to you and, and, and trying to tell you what you're worth. But I think it's a matter of really learning your own identity and, and becoming happy with yourself. And that plays a huge role in combating that and, and quieting those, those thoughts. Before we go to Mel and get her story on dealing with bulimia, Clayton, you told us how with your anorexia, you went to your sister finally and you told her what was going on. Let's say it wouldn't have been, you know, two years into your anorexia and let's say your sister would have noticed there's something wrong. And let's say your sister would have come up to you and said, I think there's something wrong. I'm worried that you have anorexia. How would you have reacted? Do you think it would have been the same result? I'm not so sure if it would be. Um, I think with enough enough support and that kind of pressure from people who cared about me, it could move me towards towards getting help for it. But a huge factor is wanting to help yourself and and wanting to get better yourself, because um, everyone can tell you to 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 seek treatment and to get better. But if you yourself don't agree or see it that way, it's chances are you're not going to go through with it or you won't you won't keep up with the the treatment. If you're just joining us, 
Clayton's been sharing his story of anorexia and how he's gotten to this point where he can even share it with you. And I'm sure that that's helpful in and of itself to many people. So thank you. We also have Mel here who we're going to hear her story of bulimia and what she's been through with that. When you hear Clayton talk about anorexia and what he's been through, did any of those things resonate with you, Mel? Um, yeah, a lot of it did for sure, especially he's talking about how you constantly have those thoughts in your mind and it's almost like a demon just following you. That was a lot of the time what it was like for me. It was constantly me just thinking, how much had I ate? How much do I have left to eat? Like, just negative thoughts about myself, and it really just never stops. It's always with you. So that was something that was really similar in my experience. Why do you think, because Clayton cited bullying as the beginning of his eating disorder, what do you think caused yours? Um, for me, my eating disorder was definitely a result of my depression, I dealt with really serious depression for over five years, so I already had those really negative thoughts about myself. And then I used the diet as a method of something I could control, and then it just started to spiral out of control, as you were saying, simultaneously in control and out of control. What are some things that you would do that you would think, okay, I'm, I'm controlling things right now? Just constantly keeping track of how many calories I had for the day. And if I ever lost that control and binged on food, being able to throw it up after and sort of erase what happened, mm -hmm. that really was a way I felt like I was doing something well in my life when everything else was going wrong. And it was something I could just keep track of. Did it become the main focus of your life? Oh, definitely. It was, um, yeah, it was just a running monologue in my head. I never stopped thinking about it. Um, whenever I talked to people, I was wondering what they thought of my body and how I looked that day. When they're eating, I was wondering, are they judging what I'm eating? I'm eating too little, I'm eating too much in front of them. So yeah, it was constantly there. How did you hide eating a lot of food, binging, purging? Because I know bulimics hide, and they hide it very well from people, something that you think is very difficult to hide. So what what were your secrets? Um. Well, it's interesting because out with my friends and at home were two entirely different things that got different perspectives. My friends were worried I wasn't eating enough because they never really did see meat. And at home, my parents thought I was eating way too much because suddenly there'd be a tub of ice cream missing from the freezer. And I would just tell them, oh, friends had come over. We all like ate stuff. It's fine. With friends, I would say, oh, I'm waiting till after practice so I can eat food. I can't be like sick before practice, right? So I was just sort of using saying, oh, I ate before to my friends and to my parents, saying, yeah, I ate with them. So it was just hiding. Right now we're talking about eating disorders and disordered eating. Not just a female thing. Clayton's been sharing his story of anorexia. Mel's been sharing her story of bulimia. And you talk about, you know, a disappearing tub of ice cream and, you know, making all these secrets, justifying to your parents, justifying to your friends. How do you get to the point where such a secret thing, you're able to bring it out to the open to get help for it, Mel? Um, for me, it wasn't really ever a time where I came out to someone and told them what was going on with my eating. It reached a point where I told people what was going on with my depression. And once that happened... I saw a therapist, and then the rest sort of came out. 
So really luckily for me, when I came out about depression, as a result of that, I also managed to get help about my eating and sort of seeing myself the way I really am. We live in a time where we have an obesity obesity epidemic that people say is an obesity epidemic, but sometimes I wonder if it's a depression epidemic because the same people, like you you talk about how your depression affected this idea to get control with, when you were um, engaging in bulimic activities, mm-hmm. but you almost wonder if people who are obese get to that point because they're depressed and because they turn to emotional eating, because they turn to food. And we've got our Mood for Thought panel with us. And Adam Milne from Mood Disorders Association just raised his hand. Before I get to Adam, I just want to uh, just highlight something important that you don't often hear. So eating disorders, yes, bulimia, anorexia, binge eating, those are actual disorders that are classified as such but then there's disordered eating and disordered eating could be when food just starts governing your life and you're looking at calories and you're looking at you know you have to eat the healthiest food orthorexia is a name for that or when you have to work out all of the time anorexia athletica these are just names not necessarily clinical diagnoses but they're names or when you look at chew and spit where you chew your food you don't swallow it you spit it out there's lots of different types of disordered eating and there's lots of people who are dealing with this and there are underlying issues and we have our mood for thought panel with us and adam is from mood disorders so what, what why did you raise your hand sir you mentioned um, depression and mm-hmm. people eating as uh, kind of a response to that. And I think that that was, is a very adequate description of me. I mean, most people can't see me, but I'm about 60 pounds over where I should be in weight. And that's a big thing. When, I'm, when I just don't have the energy or things have been stressful, that's a coping strategy for me. And not a healthy one, but that's what happens. It happens with, with a lot of people, though. I mean, when, dealing... Working at mood disorders, how often do you see food going hand-in-hand somehow or lack of food going hand-in-hand with a mental illness? All the time? Like, I mean, there's a mixture. There's somebody who, it's that, that is what they're using to get through the day because it's something they can look forward to. But also there's a lot of people with mental health concerns that can't afford a proper amount of food, and so they're on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And so that's... I would say every day I talk to somebody about what food they're eating or they're not eating or how they're, you know, how that's a coping strategy where it relates to that. Eating disorders are not usually about eating. It's unfortunate that we've given it a name like that because that's what people associate with it. So as people who have dealt with it, um, Clayton and Mel, Clayton with anorexia, Mel with bulimia, Clayton, what do you think is the biggest misconception about anorexia? Um, That it's, just this cool, trendy thing to do to fit into your summer outfit or to, to look good for for the warmer seasons or the beach. and that it's, There are trends online, the Anamia, the whole pro-Ana, pro-Mia It's all over the place, very trendy. especially to, um, it's really damaging to the, to the younger um, kids in middle school and high school who are developing. Um, and, and they talk to each other about it and push each other to, to, Hey, you don't need to eat that. Let's, let's quit eating together. And it can be even like a group effort that can just totally spiral out of control. So it's not just some, some cool idea. It can really be a, um, transform into a debilitating illness with lifelong uh, implications. Even if you get over it, um, you're going to feel the effects throughout your whole life. What would you say? Mel, is the biggest misconception as someone who's dealt with bulimia about eating disorders? 
I would say how people think so easily that it's a choice and you have this ability to decide how you're going to eat, when you're going to eat, and when you can get out of it. It's really, it takes up your whole life and it gets to the point where it is just beyond your control. So when I see people saying things like, oh, do you even want to get better if you're just going to continue this on? Or saying things also like, you don't look like you'd have an eating disorder. You're not underweight. Mm -hmm. Or just things like that. There's so much, it's so much in your mind and there's so many things you don't know if you haven't experienced it. And I think people are just too quick to make assumptions. If a parent right now thinks that their kid or if somebody thinks that their friend has an eating disorder or disordered eating, I'm talking about anything at the point where food or exercise is governing your life to the point of an unhealthy level. Clayton, what would your recommendation be to a friend, a loved one, someone who cares for somebody who's going through this? I would say approach them with as much love and compassion as you possibly can and and have their their best interests in mind. Um, and and to really just try to get to the root of, of the problem. And if that means telling them to stop hanging out with a certain group of kids um, or, or just trying to talk them up and, and show them that they, they have worth and that they, they deserve better for themselves, um, then, then, yeah, just, just approach them with love and, and sensitivity, not, not ignorance or, or you should eat a sandwich. You don't want to judge. Yeah, non-judgmental. What do you suggest, Mel, if you have a loved one, somebody you care about who you think has an eating disorder, disordered eating? I think as Clayton was saying, it's really important to get to the root of the problem mm -hmm. because like we're talking about, it is quite, it's a mental thing. That's how it begins. So I think a bad thing you can do is automatically just um, control their eating and all their habits and really judge them for that. It scares them. It makes them want to hide more. You want to get them help emotionally and tell them that you're there for them, that there's always someone there for you and help them get the help they need in that aspect. We didn't have the opportunity to get Griffin from Mood Disorders Association to weigh in on this. I know he's working with young people and he's got a lot to say on this topic. And Adam didn't have a chance to weigh in as much. But the thing is, we heard the most important stories right now and the mood uh, for thought panels definitely going to be back to talk more about this because we need to. So I'd really like to thank Clayton and Mel for bravely sharing their stories today. And I'm so glad you guys are at a healthier place now. And I just wish you continued success with that. And I'm sure that you guys made a big difference for a lot of people today. So thank you. And Adam and Griffin, thank you. If people need to get in touch with Mood Disorders Association, maybe for this sort of help, how can they find you, Adam? 786-0987, um, www.mooddisorders.ca. All the social media aspects are there or just come into our office at 4 Fort Street. Thank you guys all so much for joining us today. The Mood for Thought panel.